The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where we're winding down the year the same way we started out, by getting here and every week and getting you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. Today we're going to talk about something that has been around for a really long time, but that you probably didn't start hearing very much about until the last couple of years, unless you've been around for a lot of years, and that is 1031 tax-deferred exchanges. Why are they suddenly so hot again? Why is it that every time... You turn your head at a real estate meeting and listen to somebody talking or every time you go on to the Cincinnati Rhea Haves and Wants meetings on Friday morning, you hear somebody saying, well, I'm about to do an exchange or, well, I have some money for an exchange. And it was like in 2012, you just never heard that that term. It's because the market is so daggone hot and a lot of people who have owned properties for a long time are cashing out of them. While the prices are super high and since they have both, you know, they're both selling them for more money than they paid for them and also have a lot of depreciation that they could potentially need to recapture. Uh, they are looking to these 1031 exchanges to put those capital gains taxes off until later and invest all that money in a new property. So the question, whenever we hear something like this, whenever we say, wow, this is suddenly getting hot, is how do I fold it into my business even if I don't have a highly appreciated property that I would like to sell? How can I, though there's all these people sitting on all this money, how can I help them out by letting them finance some of my deals in some way or another? So... In order to discuss this uh, some, somewhat technical, but also sometimes, uh, you know, creative topic, uh, I have with me today Mr. Jack Shea, who was raised in Chicago, went to the University of Illinois, got a degree in engineering, spent seven years in the Air Force, flying four-engine transports, and then in 1978 decided what many of us here in Cincinnati are deciding right now, which is the Midwest is too cold in the wintertime, and moved to Florida. So at that point, he started investing in real estate, 
um, started doing classes, teaches a few seminars on trusts and options and checkbook controlled IRAs. But, and this is the important part, for 35 years he has been operating a 1031 exchange facilitation business with his son, Dan and his partner Matt and so there is a lot of experience and a lot of war stories I'm sure coming on the line here from his home in Florida welcome Jack nice to be here thanks for that invite <laughs> it's it's good to it's good to talk to you I, I was talking to Bill Cook on the way up here on the way up to the program and he said, man, you're going to have to corral Jack because he knows so much. Like you get him talking and he's just going to be like, well, and then this and then this and then this and then this. And I said, I, I think Jack and I will get along okay. We've got a lot of stuff to cover. You have but... a mute switch there, Dana, you can use any time. <laughs> That's true. I am in control. Well, really, Mike the Engineer is in control if we're if we're really being honest about this. So... A lot of our listeners are, you know, they're kind of just new to the real estate business full stop or they got in like after the crash in in 2007 and they they maybe have never encountered a 1031 exchange in their own lives or even in their friends' lives. So let's just start super basic. If you could tell us what a 1031 exchange even is. Uh, Dean has been in the tax code for many years, since the 20s, and say it allows uh, investors of, into real estate, have title to real estate that it is for investment property, not a vacation home, not your house, investment properties, to sell that, place the money, is to be held by a qualified intermediary. Uh, there's many of them around, and we do that. And then you have 180 days to spend that money. But in 45 days, you have to identify some potential properties. They could be three properties of any value, $10 million each or Or you can take 200% of what you sold. If you sold for 200000 you can identify 400000 worth of stuff if you're buying more like building lots and small things, you might be 10 of them would fit into that. So you have two basic rules, three properties or 200%. Okay, so you just said so much in that paragraph that I'm going to break it down a little bit here. Um, The first thing that I heard you say was it is for people who are real estate investors. They have held the property they're selling as investment. So how does that apply to somebody who maybe bought a property last week, they're going to fix it up over the next three months, and then they're just going to resell it? Does that count as a property held for investment? Can I exchange that property? No, it must be held for a year. It must be held for a year, or there's kind of a, a, a little maybe a less known. If you exchanged into that property, say you – are in your second leg and you bought this um, triplex and, and uh, doing a little work in a couple of months and you want to sell out of it, there's no holding period, no minimum holding period for replacement property. So once you go past the first one of a year, 
you could flip them every 30 days or 90 days. And that's a kind of a missed uh, opportunity that some people uh, don't notice. But it's, it's according to the tax code. So I could sell house A, which maybe I've owned for 20 years, and I'm, I'm going to have to pay 20000 in taxes if I don't do an exchange. I could buy this triplex you're talking about. I could fix it up, and in 30 days I could exchange it into another property? You have owned the first property for more than, for a long 20 years. Of time. 20 yeah. years. Yeah. No, your pre- replacement properties, there's no minimum holding time. You can flip that. So this picks and flip. You can keep doing that. Uh, and, and it's okay within the tax code. Now the IRS leaves people alone. We don't rarely see an audit if you use a qualified intermediary and you don't have your brother-in-law or <laughs> you yourself holding the money. So it's uh, pretty much uh, they leave us alone. We go strictly by the rules about the 45 days and 180 days. And therefore, we rarely, uh, I think I've some years ago heard about an audit of which the guy sailed through because of he was going all by the rules. So they have the more places to raise revenue than bothering us. <laughs> okay, so we have a quick break that we need to take, and then I'm gonna we're going to come back, and I'm going to ask you about what a qualified intermediary is and how to get this set up, and we're also going to take listener questions which the listeners can, uh, you know, if you're still at work and you don't want to pick up your boss's phone and call and ask about your real estate business, you can send it as an email to askvina at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A at gmail.com. Or if you're on the road, stuck in traffic, which is weirdly heavy here in Cincinnati today, you can... Call us on your cell phone, 877-772-9658. Again, 877-772-9658. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Jack Shea from Keys Capital down in Florida. does a lot of exchanging like professionally like he is one of those qualified intermediaries we were talking about a little bit earlier so he's been doing this for a long 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 time and he knows a lot about how this works and if you have any questions it's better to ask him now than it is to ask me in three weeks 877-772-9658 or askvina at gmail.com is where you would send in those questions. So Jack's still trying to just get the folks who have not dealt with these before familiar with kind of the language and whatnot. You said qualified intermediary. And I know that like when you've been in the business for a while, you just start saying QI. I put it with my QI because qualified intermediary is too many syllables. What can I just pick my QI, or is that a thing where could could Mike here be my qualified intermediary, or, sh- or is it somebody who has some kind of licensing or something? Well, the, this the QI, uh, known as a 1031 facilitator or exchange accommodator, are different terms for the same person. But you can 
you could have a friend do it, I guess, if you want to do, but they can't be your attorney, your realtor, accountant, or, you know, somebody that's a, an advisor to you. Uh, they, they're not allowed to do that. Mm, okay. And what is, the, what is the QI's job in all of this? Well, uh, we uh, work with the title companies and make sure we do the documents uh, to hold and we have to appear on the HUD-1, the closing statement, as 1031, where the proceeds are going, 1031 facilitator for Dina uh, Jones-Cox. And it shows, and then the money came to Keys Capital, and then when you go buy stuff, we send it to wherever you uh, tell us, and as long as it's within 180 days, uh, if anybody wants to look at that, uh, you, you won't have a problem. So you buy what you like, and it can be any number, any place, any type of real estate of which can be oil royalties, and it can be now they can buy uh, DSTs, which the Delaware Statutory Trust, which has shares of Walgreens. You can buy, uh, you know, there's 10 Walgreens in different states, and I'm mean, worth five million. You could buy a $100,000 share of that package, and that's real estate. You get an interest, and, and that qualifies. And, uh, and so do uh, oil royalties. Our, our uh, real estate has right title and interest. That's an interest. Uh, uh, real, uh, oil royalties, air rights that they have over signage over the interstate, uh, uh, easements through properties. So there are different title aspects of real estate which are exchangeable. Maybe they're out of the realm of the normal investor, but there's quite a broad variety of legal uh, opportunities. Okay, well, you just taught me something, because I've been telling people for years, nope, if you gave up a deed, you've got to get a deed. And you're telling me that that is not actually true if you're more sophisticated about some of these investments that aren't a deed, but are still apparently real estate, according to... The IRS. So the qualified intermediary comes into this whole process before I've sold my property that I'm going to want to exchange, right? Um, hopefully, <laughs> yes. Uh, or sometimes we get uh, at the closing table and wait, wait a second, just hold on. We'll get some paperwork and, and change the HUD, the closing statement that the money is going to us, so we pull them out at, in the last hour, but not after the money's been, been distributed to uh, Vina or anybody else. And that's uh, uh, called uh, t- uh, messing with a 1031 is called tax fraud, <laughs> and that's an orange jumpsuit. That's an orange jumpsuit uh, routine nowadays. Yeah. So. yeah, I don't look at an orange. So yeah, so so. We've got we've got two things now. We've got this idea that I'm going to sell my property, but I'm not going to take the sales proceeds. So the title company is going to write a check from the sale, but it's not going to go to me. It's going to go to the qualified intermediary. I don't touch it. Like I don't, I don't get to 
put it in my bank account even for a minute. And then I'm off in search of another property or possibly properties. I do want to come back to that too that I can spend that money on. And if I do that within the time frames that you talked about, I don't have to pay the capital gains tax on the property I sold as long as I put that money into something else. Is that? Well, that's, that, well, that's true. There's another component to the holding of property, Avena, and that's depreciation. If you own a property for 10 years, a residential, it's depreciated at 3.63% a year. So that's 36%. So if you paid 100, 36% has been gone. So your basis is now 65,000. And you're going to be taxed on that other 35,000 if you cash in. Mm -hmm. So the depreciation you don't have to pay for uh, unless, you know, if you take the money. So that's, that adds to the amount of tax you would pay by the time you held the property. So if you have depreciation and then the growth from what you paid uh, to what the new price is, so you avoid all tax if you do an exchange. That's a, that's an excellent point, and I'm glad you brought it up. I bought a property last year from a fellow who was basically selling it to me for the same price he bought it for, but he was still going to have a $40,000 uh, there were 40 it was $40,000 he was going to have to pay taxes on because he had owned it for 10 years and it was the it was the depreciation that he had you know taken during that 10 years that he was now effectively having to give back right i got all these tax savings for the last 10 years and now i have to give it back to the irs correct and uh, we we put that deal together differently than we would have otherwise because it was crazy that he was uh, – and it, by the way, he owed almost as much on it as he paid for it because he'd refinanced it. And he wasn't going to actually get any money at the closing, and yet he was going to owe something like $12,000 in taxes. So <laughs> we did that deal a little differently because that was silly that he was going to get 2000 at the closing – and have to pay twelve thousand in taxes, and he was selling it for the same amount that he had bought it for. So, um, yeah, people forget about depreciate. They forget they have to recapture depreciation. They're very happy about it every year when they get to write it off, but not so happy when they get to uh, pay pay it back. So, ten thirty one exchange qualified intermediary. Um, you mentioned time frames. You said. There was one time frame, and this is following the closing, right? So I've sold my property. The money's gone to the qualified intermediary. You said one time frame was 45 days, and a different time frame was 180 days. What what are those four again? Uh, the four, 45 days is identification period. Any time up to 45 days, you can identify either the three properties or 200%. After 45 days. Uh, if you miss that, you're you're done because you. So you can uh, identify uh, several, five or six, and uh, and they and, and upmarket people uh, stand around and they go away on them. So you can put options, you can put contracts on other properties, uh, being to put a couple of grand down and tie it up and hold it until we get the money and you get. So there's ways, legal ways to do it 
And if you did put a couple thousand on a, a, to hold the property and at, at, at later uh, uh, analysis, uh, you didn't like it, but you, you like the other ones. So you, you may lose that couple thousand. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. there's one thing I'd like to mention, Vina, which we use a lot and for your, your people, is Total View Real Estate is a, an app that you that I use that most many of my friends use. You put the address in and it'll come up with the tax assessed, the appraised value, this, that, you know, sales in the neighborhood, little maps, it'll have a, a, what do you call it, the rental meter rent. So Total View Real Estate is really handy for sitting in your car and driving by. Quickly evaluating things. Okay, so so you said that I, so I'm, I've got I've got my money sitting at the qualified intermediaries. I've got 45 days to quote identify property or properties I might buy with that money. What does identify mean? Like, how does that work? Do I just say, oh look, there's a property, or do I have to do something more formal than just say, oh, like that one? No, your list. You know, your list has to. Can, have the, the legal address for the property, 802 Grove Street, not Blue House on, or, you know, <laughs> next. It's, it's what its street address is or lot seven, block six, Happy Valley. Something that's, uh, not a full legal, but if it has a street address, mailbox, or a lot and block, mm-hmm. that's, you just can't have a, a loose, you know, the the big lot off of Elm Street. Or so it, it can't say that house I drove by that I kind of like the looks of. Yeah, you you look in Total View Real Estate, and you get their street address, which is fine. It's in a plotted community, and if it's rural property, you have a lot and block. And, and that's good. So that's uh, and and uh, and people go. and that goes to the quali- that list of things that I've identified goes to the qualified intermediary as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we send you a letter. We send you an ID letter. We make it easy for it. So it's addressed to us, and it's got the blanks to fill in the blanks, and it's from you, <laughs> and and you fill in the blanks and you press send. We try to. You don't have to figure out. This I, uh, how to do an ID letter? We send you one, and you fill in the blanks. Okay, and then and then so at day forty six, that's a locked in list, and now I need to go actually close those deals, and that's where the hundred and eighty days comes in. As I have one hundred and eighty days yes, from the you, closing to actually yeah, the, close, the clock on, on forty five or hundred and eighty days starts the day after the closing. If you closed on April first. Day number one is April 2nd. Got it. So that's where the clock starts. So that's all in our computer. And we'll give you a date, you know, some months later. And uh, this is, uh, those are firm dates, though, as far as the IRS goes upon audit. And we, and nobody I know uh, goes past the worst cases. They take, they you know, take, take that money. It's better to pay, pay some tax. Or, as we say, you can park it in land, and you can buy a piece of land for a while that uh, 
will, will, will cost you much to get your money back out of it till you find it. People are in the mobile home parks or big apartments, uh, they, they don't have the, the, all the residential properties that we have, so they don't have the size of uh, products to look at. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, we need to take another quick break. When we come back, we're actually going to answer some questions that have already come in at askvina at gmail.com. If you've got uh, questions, it's A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A at gmail.com or give us a call, 877-772-9658. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Jack Shea, who has so much experience in 1031 exchanges that he's telling me things that I don't even know about. And I've I've done probably 25, and I thought until a couple minutes ago I was pretty knowledgeable about these things. Uh, so, Jack, before we get to these questions that listeners have sent in, I just want to I just want to go through one other thing that I know kind of confuses people. I'm gonna I'm gonna make up a fake property, okay? And I I sold it, and at the closing, after all of my commissions and all of that stuff, I got exactly two hundred thousand dollars for the property, but. From that, I had to pay off a one hundred thousand dollar loan. So, so what what it says is, as what goes to the qualified intermediary is one hundred thousand because that's how much cash came out. But there's a hundred thousand missing there, and that's the loan that got paid off. So when I go to buy a new property or properties with my ten thirty one money. Do I have to spend two hundred thousand on the new properties, or do I only have to spend one hundred thousand because that's what the that's what the qualified intermediary is sitting on? That's a, a great question, Dina, and we have a lot of uh, arm wrestling with people with this uh, question. They say, "No, I just want to spend the hundred and not the." It's a, it's a accounting principle that the debt relief. The other guy came to that closing with two hundred thousand dollar cash. He paid off your hundred as, as if he gave you the money and you paid it off. But he paid it off for you. If you, we get your hundred, but you need to get a hundred on your new property, or you will pay tax. And the debt relief is income, and uh, people have a hard time capturing that. It's accounting principles. Uh, somebody pays off your debt. It's like they, a gift. It's like they gave you the money. Mm-hmm. So you're, you are allowed to buy a property and with equal or, or more, at least the same debt, no tax. And I bought a lot of properties because I had the leverage of having cash and I got the sellers to carry financing for a few years. And if they're getting 25 or 30 or 40 percent cash, a lot of people hold some paper for a while, so you don't pay the tax. So it's doable, and it's necessary, and whichever way you want it is uh, now a new bank loan with Calvina. If you go to a bank and get a loan, mm-hmm. that's seller financing, or you add a hundred cash out of your pocket. Okay, then Any that one of those. Great, great. Because that was that was the that was the next thing I was going to ask you. So I have listeners. This is this is our scenario. 
I sold a house. I paid a bunch of closing costs, blah, blah, blah. But the bottom line was, after all of that, it was 200000 except that 100000 got paid to the bank because that was how much I owed on the property. So there's a qualified intermediary somewhere who's got $100,000 cash from this sale, but I also have to replace the other $100,000. So, Jack, you're saying I could... Find a seller who is willing to carry a hundred thousand dollars worth of financing and give him a hundred thousand down, and that would be the two hundred thousand I need. Correct. And you're saying I could find a house I like where the seller wouldn't carry the financing and go to the bank and say I need to borrow fifty percent of the two hundred thousand I'm paying, which should be pretty easy, right? It's only a fifty percent loan, and the bank could give me a hundred, and I could put a hundred down. That the same same difference. You have debt. You have acquired debt from some place, and uh, so you're clean, no tax. And I could, if I found a seller with a million-dollar property who would take a hundred thousand down and carry nine hundred thousand, I could trade into that because that's more. Yeah. I'm allowed. I'm allowed. I'm allowed to trade into trade into something where I'm taking on more debt or putting in more cash. Sure. Well, that helps your basis in that property mm-hmm. by taking on more debt. Okay. So a lot of possibilities here. Now, that kind of leads us into Goodwin's question. He says, what happens if I can't spend the entire 200000 I'm left with maybe five or 10000 in spare change after I bought my new property. Is only that portion taxed? Or is the entire amount of the proceeds I got from the sale of the first property taxed? Well, I don't want to get off track, but I tell my friends, there's a new rule. I get to keep the money. And they laugh. <laughs> the, the change belongs yeah. to Jack. Okay. No. Yeah. No. No. He's okay. He's okay. That's just that amount. And there's not much. You could He could buy with that, but he could, if it's up in the 10 grand bracket or so, he could buy a little piece of those Walgreens or Family Dollar or those packages and they pay about 6%. And some, so that's, uh, you know, it's better than nothing uh, and it's better than paying the tax. Mm-hmm. He has a second question. Could I use the funds from a 1031 exchange to purchase a partial interest, for instance, maybe buy half of a property, or must the purchase be entirely 1031? No, you can buy as long as you get a deeded interest, Vina. If you get a 32% or some share of a land trust or tenants in common, if you're on a deed with three people and you're a tenants in common, uh, all of those things are okay as long as you get an interest, a legal interest in some real estate someplace. Okay, so with my $200,000 that, again, is half cash and half debt I have to replace, I could go in with a partner and we could buy a $500,000 property as long as I spent my two hundred. Correct. Excellent. And he has a third question. He says, I understand 1031 targets must be identified within 45 days and the close, closings completed with 180, within 180 can more properties than needed be identified should any of them fall through? So I think what he's saying is, well, let's let's actually cut this into two pieces. I have sent you that letter, Jack. It says, here are the three properties that I think I might buy. 
on day 40, two of them become unavailable, and I want to put two different ones on. Can I do that on day 40? Not, not allowed. Not allowed. That's tax fraud, and we don't change. We don't change any documents, and that's why I say is, is have, have a, a fallback thing, like I say, some land or something, but that's or get busy and uh, or in these hot markets, the smart uh, investors are t- uh, getting a contract on real estate or putting getting an option on before they're closing or it, right in that time so they don't miss. So if you do miss, it's I don't have any solution. Okay, so don't don't send that that letter to your qualified intermediary saying these are my properties until you're sure because you can't. You can't change them once you have sent it. Is that what I'm getting? That's correct. Yes, and and if you um, the 200 percent rule, why if you sold for 200, you can uh, uh, identify 400 thousand worth of stuff. That might give you uh, some more properties that'll fit your requirements and still fit in in uh, within the the 200 percent or of three property guidelines. Okay, question from Pat. Here's a scenario for Jack. My property was not originally bought as an investment property. The owner lives in the property. Can he or she quit claim it into an LLC, then rent it out? And if so, how long does it have to be a rental before I'd be able to do a 1031 exchange on it? Yes, they can do that. That's a good question. Uh, people, uh, and same with the vacation homes that, that people use within part of the time. But the house that she bought and lived in, and when she moves out and turns it into a rental, and you do Schedule E's. And as long as she has a track of Schedule E's that she's reported rental income that becomes an investment property, after she doesn't live in it, and that happens a lot. You can do that. Okay. So, how long would you recommend that she rent it before she tried to ex- before she tried to exchange it? A year? Uh, uh, yes, a year. It, it, it needs to be an investment property for a year. Okay. And uh, Pat, let me remind you and everyone else that if you're talking about your own home and you have a large gain in it, you may not. You may want to not convert it to a rental and go through all these machinations with the 1031 exchange because you can sell it and make up to $250,000 if you're single, and I think the number is 500 if you're married, and not pay capital gains on that based on Section 121 of the Internal Revenue Code. Yeah, so that's the, uh, so the 200000 single or 250 and 500000 is available for homestead, and that's the first thing to take. Yeah. So, and so it's tax. yeah, if you're trying to if you're trying to save the capital gains taxes because your your house has gone up a lot in value and you're thinking about selling it, you can just sell it. <laughs> you don't have to turn it into rental for a year for the purpose of yeah. avoiding the capital gains taxes because there's another section of the Internal Revenue Code that lets you do that. All right, yeah. we need to take one more quick break, and the questions are piling up in the. AskVina at gmail.com inbox here. Uh, you might be able to get one in real quick if you called at 877-772-9658. We'll be back right after this.
Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Fina Jones-Cox. My guest today, Jack Shea from Keys Capital, joining us from his home in Florida, where I wish I was. Goodness gracious, it's gotten cold here all of a sudden. I don't know why I'm surprised. It is wintertime in the Midwest. Um, we're talking about 1031 exchanges, and I want to answer this one last listener question, and then I want to talk about why people ought to be listening when your friends talk about their 1031 exchanges. Uh, this one is from Chris, and she's asking, I think, for clarification on that thing you said about uh, I, I sold my $200,000 property, I bought a triplex in an exchange, and then now I could, in theory, sell it, sell the triplex 30 days from now. Her question is, after buying the property, so we're buying the triplex, how are you showing your intent with the new property as an investment if you're selling it in 30 days? Don't you need to hold that one for a year in order to exchange it again? Otherwise, isn't it a flip and therefore excluded from a, a new 1031 exchange? Well, no, it's an investment property. It needs to be if it's rental. You're going to have Schedule E if it has uh, no rental income, uh, you show that you advertised it, you held it out for sale, that you didn't uh, live in it. So that's a, a rare event, but it does happen, and you can do that. But the, the best thing is uh, to report rental income or, or show that it's advertised or listed, and you won't have a problem. Okay. So I buy this triplex, I get it fixed up, whatever, I put a tenant in it, I show two months' worth of rental income, and then I sell it, but I want to exchange it again. Is that going to fly? Yes. Yes. Replace. There's no holding period required for replacement properties. Wow. Then the next one you get, you can fix and flip that in two months. That's another one. And everything after the first one there's no minimum time. That is that is life changing right there. I I did not know that, and that is like because I I have found myself in a position several times in the last few years where I had begun the process of the exchange. The qualified intermediary had the money, and I am now at day forty of that forty five days. I have to identify properties, and there's just really nothing I like that much. And I'm now I'm stuck saying, well, do I do I just have the qualified intermediary, intermediary send me the money and I pay the taxes, which I was trying to avoid in the first place, or do I go buy something I don't love, like a piece of land? You, you suggested a piece of land. Uh, I don't love that because I thought I was stuck with it for a year, but you're telling me that maybe I can go ahead and put that money into something I don't like that well, and then when I find something I really do like sell the thing that I bought that I didn't like that well in exchange again. Uh, yes, and, and with the, the kind of uh, buying leverage you have with the cash, you can probably make a good deal on a triplex or something is not your favorite, but you can get it at a good price and you'll be able to turn it over and, and make make some more money if you have a, you know, a network or you have uh, find those kind of opportunities. Take it and then get out of it uh, soon, mm -hmm. sooner and do it again. Okay. And that brings us around to the thing that 
is we've just we've never really discussed this on on real life real estate uh not because it's not a good thing to do but because I didn't even know the power of it myself until the last year or two and that is a lot of our listeners don't have properties that they want to exchange they're just too new into the business they haven't owned their properties for that long or they maybe have never even bought one maybe they're in the flipping business or something but understanding and paying attention and listening when other people say i am doing a 1031 exchange i am about to have two hundred thousand dollars that i'm going to spend can be valuable for people who are looking for money <laughs> to, to I don't know, perhaps sell wholesale deals. Um, there's ways to structure those so that the the person who is doing the exchange, the person who's going to have the money, I have my 200000 I have 100 of it in cash, and I have 100 of it in uh, that I need to replace in financing. Well, Jack, you are a new investor. Haha, <laughs> you're a new investor who has a $200,000 house under contract that you're not sure how you're going to close. You don't have a lo- you don't have a loan lined up, you don't have $100,000 down. I could buy your property that you want and then maybe lease option it to you for a year, which means I have now held it as an investment property and that could help both of us, right? Yes, that's a good plan that you by keeping your that's why I like meetings and, and friends and you uh, help each other. Both sides are winners. Uh, he's avoided a tax problem. You saved your tax and it can happen all the time by uh, getting together and cooperate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you say meetings, you're, you're referring to the many, 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 many real estate associations that meet all around the country all the time. And, you know, I know a lot of folks are, you know, they're kind of at the point where they're like, I don't go to the meetings anymore because they always have these speakers selling stuff or they always, you know, it seems like it's the same topics all the time. But I know you personally attend meetings, not because you're expecting a speaker to tell you anything new, but it's because of the other people there who might have opportunities like that. Yes, and I, it's a social event for me. It's, it's a dinner or you know, there's luncheon meetings, breakfast meetings. It's fun. They're they're my friends, and uh, you know, people banter each other, and so it's a, it reduces your ego to get into one of those uh, <laughs> meetings with your with your friends. It does, and it allows you if you if you actually bother to show up and talk to people, and not just sit there and wait for the speaker to start. Then you start hearing people say things like, "Oh man, I'm on day 40 of a 10 to identify a, a property for 1031 exchange, and I got nothing." And that's where you can step up and say, "Oh, well, I have this wholesale deal you might be interested in," or, "Hey, would you like to buy this rental over here that I have that I do kind of like, but I wouldn't mind selling it," or, do, "Or would you like to buy it for a year and give me an option to buy it back?" There's there's all sorts of uh, interesting yes, thing that happens it, when you pay attention. Yeah, and it, this uh, options that we talked earlier are very powerful. They're legal, and that leaves you in, and then you can buy it back. Or uh, option options are exchangeable. They're interests in real estate. People don't know you can ten thirty one exchange options. 
So it's a, a, a right in real estate, and uh, they're very uh, valuable, and they are help, uh, great for structuring what you're talking about is, okay, option it for a year, and then, well, you can buy me out, but in that time, you'll make some money, and he's happy because it saves him from paying tax up front, and he gets a chance to shop around. Love it. Love it. Listen, we got a last-minute question from Debbie, who's also in Florida, uh, and I'm hoping you can answer in about two minutes because that's how much time we have left. So the scenario is there's a property. It's held in a land trust. There are two beneficiaries in the land trust. The property is going to get sold, and the funds are going to get placed with a qualified intermediary. What she wants to know, is there is is there any way for those two beneficiaries to buy two properties and each one of them take one? Or do they have to continue yeah. as partnership as a par- as partners in the replacement properties? No, no that's a value of transfer. Uh, they're uh, deemed to be tenants in common. Avena, they're tenants in common. They can, uh, if it sells, one can take the cash and one can do the exchange. They can go together or they can go separately. So, the uh, tenant in common uh, method of ownership is they each have a, a share and they can each do what they like with it. Well, I suspect that is exactly what Debbie wanted to hear. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad you were able to. I'm glad you were able to tell her what she wanted to hear. Um, all right. Well, Jack, we are about out of time. I really appreciate you taking time to share all this expertise. And we are we're definitely going to circle back around to this option thing because that's a whole show all to itself. There's so many things that you can do with options. So I'll give you a call and we can schedule something for that maybe middle of 2022. But thanks for being with us tonight. I enjoyed it and I'm available. I'm the Maytag repairman. I'm just waiting. For <laughs> Excellent. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. 